Welcome to PodClass with Lara Axtell. As an experienced educator, Lara explores the latest educational research and practical solutions from experts, educators, and parents with the goal of increasing knowledge, improving student outcomes, and creating connections. PodClass is brought to you by Reading Horizons, whose mission is to empower teachers by providing training and tools needed to implement dynamic structured literacy instruction in the classroom. Visit readinghorizons.com to learn more. And now, PodClass with your host, Laura Axtell. Thank you for joining us for this episode of PodClass. Today's episode is the first of a two-part series on closing the achievement gap. This is a complex issue that includes many, many factors. To identify these factors and how they contribute to the achievement gap, we'll hear from four guests. Dr. Tyrone Howard from UCLA, Dr. Julie Washington from Georgia State University, Dr. Patrick Tudren, an assistant superintendent in New England, and Keith Dysars, the director of K-12 practice at the Education Trust. All of our guests currently work or have worked in public and higher education and have an intimate knowledge of what contributes to the achievement gap and what we can do to close it. This episode, part one, will focus on defining the achievement gap and what we know about some of the causes. As you listen, see if you can identify the common themes raised by the various guests. On the next episode, part two will explore solutions. Based on what we know, what can be done to address and close the achievement gap? We'll begin today with Dr. Tyrone Howard. Dr. Howard is a professor of education at UCLA in Los Angeles, where he is also the director of the Blackmail Institute. His publications include his 2010 book, Why Race and Culture Matters in Schools, Closing the Achievement Gap in America's Classrooms. Welcome to PodClass, Dr. Howard. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So let's get started by just having you talk a little bit about how you are connected to the topic of the achievement gap. So I've had the good fortune of being a, an educator in K-12 public schools and now a teacher educator at the university level. And one of the bigger concerns to me has always been the stubborn gaps that have exist for children of color, namely Native American, African-American and Latino students compared to their white, mostly Asian counterparts. And this has been a big concern because we don't seem to be getting it right. And as an educator in public schools, did you, how did that kind of translate? What did you see? Well, I saw lots of things. I saw in my classroom, students were oftentimes behind academically compared to the grade level they were at. I saw oftentimes their parents did not have access to the same resources to support their children that I know more affluent families had. And I saw that there were schools that just didn't have the kind of teaching supply in terms of quality of teachers and quantity of teachers that other schools have. So you see it both at the classroom level as well as at the school level uh, where a lot of the discrepancies begin to sort of contribute to the gap. And when we're talking about the term achievement gap, what does that really mean? Well, really what we are talking about now is the differences in academic outcomes between various groups. So you look at graduation rates, you look at standardized test scores, you look at issues around who gets access to honors and AP classes, and over and over again, district by district, state by state, what we see is that African-American, Native American, Latino students are consistently at the bottom, despite being told that education is the proverbial equalizer, those students still continue to fall behind or are not even given the same opportunities to close that gap. And how big is the gap? Well, it depends on what area you're talking about. In some areas, I mean, we've gotten some small progress. For example, 
uh, high school graduation rate continue to rise for African-American and Latino students. But it's still about a probably depending on the state, a nine to 10 percentage point gap between where black students are and, and Latino students are compared to white and Asian students. Another area that's a huge gap is, is disciplinary infractions in schools. We know that black children are sometimes three, four, five times more likely to be suspended or expelled compared to their white counterparts. So when you can't learn because you're suspended or you're not able to learn because you're uh, oftentimes placed in overcrowded classrooms with underprepared teachers, that's what contributes to the gap. And why does the gap matter? I mean, you mentioned, you know, discipline and things like that, but doesn't this extend way beyond the classroom and even into long term, for example, the school to prison pipeline, that kind of thing? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because we know students who are suspended are more likely to miss quality instructional time. They miss quality instructional time. They're more likely to be retained. If they're more likely to be retained, they're more likely to drop out of school. And if they drop out of school, they have an increased likelihood that they will end up being incarcerated at some point in their lives. So you're right. There's a direct school to prison pipeline here that affects mostly poor children and children of color. And it matters because it's about quality of life. We know that for any individual who goes higher in terms of high school completion or just education completion, it leads to not only higher income, overall quality of life, more civic participation with voting, much more overall health and well-being. So the factors are myriad that, that improves people's life chances and life quality with education. So it matters because we want a society that is going to help provide all of our citizens with opportunity. And when education can't be, be that proverbial equalizer, uh, we're talking about a group of people who are going to have a very different set of life quality. Thank you, Dr. Howard. We'll talk next with Dr. Julie Washington, professor and department chair in the Department of Communication Sciences and Disorders at Georgia State University. Dr. Washington is also a researcher and author of two books. Welcome to PodClass, Dr. Washington. Oh, thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. So could you start by defining and explaining the achievement gap? Sure. We've been measuring achievement for since like the late 60s, early 70s, using the National Assessment of Education Progress, the NAEP, which is also called the Nation's Report Card. But it wasn't until school districts started complaining that the NAEP results really didn't reflect what was going on in their school districts that the data started to be disaggregated by race and socioeconomic status and a number of different variables that we know impact student performance. And it was at that time, it's been almost 50 years now, that we really started to talk about this gap in achievement. And so what it looks like is that students who come from different racial and ethnic backgrounds perform less well than some of their peers. So the students who tend to be at the top of the achievement sort of ladder are Asian Americans, and then below them are white children. And then beneath them, um, in terms of their achievement and significantly beneath them, which is why it's called a gap, are African-American kids, Latino kids, and uh, American Indians. Got it. And what factors contribute to the achievement gap? I think there are a lot of factors that attribute to the achievement gap. I don't think we understand all of them, but we do understand some of them. And a lot of them are related to opportunity, opportunity and access, access to excellent teachers, access to high-quality resources, high-quality schools tend to be real factors that we know impact kids. And so that's why we tend to see in some areas like our rural areas, 
the gap is not by race, it's a resource gap. And so we tend to see resource issues with kids who are growing up in poverty, for example. Some of the race issues we also know are related to low expectations for kids from certain groups, and so that's a racial bias issue. So um, it can be a number of issues that we are seeing over time that influence how well kids are doing. There's a readiness gap. We do know that, that when you look at children coming into school at preschool or kindergarten, that they often, if they are poor, if they are minority, if they come from certain areas, that they are not at the level that we expect for preschoolers and kindergartners in areas like knowledge of letters or their vocabulary development and just sort of their general school readiness. I know that parents of young children know now that the things that we used to teach to kids when they were coming into preschool, we now expect them to know when they get there. And when they don't know those things, it represents a gap. And so we see kids who are coming from families who, you know, have a lot of opportunities and a lot of background knowledge that develops from all these opportunities that kids have that really support them when they get to school. If you come to school without those things, then you tend to be behind the grade level expectations that we have, even at preschool and at kindergarten. There's a researcher uh, at Stanford, Ann Fernald, who calls it the beginning of a developmental cascade. So that poor readiness at preschool, at kindergarten, is the beginning of a gap that is very, very difficult to close. And we haven't been very successful at it. We appreciate you taking time, Dr. Washington. Now we'll hear from Dr. Patrick Tudren. Dr. Tudren is the Assistant Superintendent for Student Services at East Windsor Public Schools in Connecticut. As you'll hear, his role gives him a unique perspective on and reinforces what Dr. Washington said about early childhood readiness. So tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. As far as uh, background on myself, I'm currently the Assistant Superintendent for Student Services in East Windsor, Connecticut. And as far as uh, my current role and responsibilities, primarily I oversee all special education, also 504. I'm also the homeless liaison, among other responsibilities. And that's a lot and very important roles. Absolutely. So it's always great to have people talk about what they're passionate about. And one of the things that really popped out at you is the the whole conversation around the achievement gap. You know, what would you like to share about that? Uh, So first, when I think of the achievement gap, I think of um, essentially early childhood experiences. When you look at kindergarten students that come in, the range of experiences coming in that differ vastly. So you may have some that went through daycare, may have gone through a preschool program, and then you may have others that have had no early childhood experiences, maybe have had limited access uh, to literature. And depending on those experiences, you see the differences as far as what that looks like in the classroom. And uh, and really makes it really challenging as far as uh, kindergarten teachers. In some ways, you know, they have the least amount of data. A lot of times they're meeting families for the first time, unless uh, there's been older siblings that have gone through the school district prior. In some cases, like our school district, and I'm sure other school districts, if you have like a transient uh, student population, you may have even uh, less information on the family, and you're really starting from scratch. And so you really have to get to know the families, not just the students on their levels, as far as what experiences are they bringing in the classroom. 
And, and could you clarify a little bit, what kinds of deficits are you talking about or just those gaps that you're not seeing with some students when they enter preschool or kindergarten? Absolutely. So, I mean, some are coming with uh, deficits. All school systems, I mean, across uh, the nation have child fine, but not all families are even aware that child fine exists or depending on uh, what access they have to health care or their pediatricians, maybe they weren't referred to birth to three services. And if they had no formal like preschool or like a structured uh, daycare setting, they may not have, you know, even um, had the awareness that there were resources available. For things like speech delays or um, developmental delays. Absolutely. And I mean, those are the two primary that we see as far as uh, communication. I think a lot of people hear speech and the the first thing they think if you're not in education is they think of articulation. You know, can my uh, child pronounce words? Well, it goes far beyond that as far as uh, their ability not just to articulate words, but as far as their receptive language as well. Can they process uh, language and follow one or two-step directions? Can they express their needs and wants in a way that's appropriate other than uh, maybe pointing? And so, uh, so those are, you definitely see variations as far as uh, student readiness and coming in with their communication skills, as far as like their early literacy skills. I mean, you hope that they can identify uh, the letters in the alphabet. More po- importantly, you hope that they can identify the sounds of the letters in the alphabet, um, have some basic uh, numeracy skills as far as uh, number identification. Um, as far as us, um, just early starting points. And do you see students who come in without those things? We do. And I think which would surprise many um, who um, maybe come from well-rounded families and uh, who in their households have uh, essentially resources available. And it's funny how you refer to maybe like books in the home as resources, Um, but they really are. And uh, I mean, I've uh, read research as far as Um, Just reading to your child 10 minutes a day prior to them entering uh, kindergarten makes a world of difference. And you you really don't think think of it in that small numbers. But one, just having books available, and two, actually reading to your child uh, makes the world a difference. We appreciate that, Dr. Tudrin. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment. Podcast is brought to you by Reading Horizons the creator of a structured literacy program for beginning readers, struggling readers, and English language learners of all ages. By combining professional development, teacher-led instruction, and data-driven software, students receive targeted instruction that leads to efficient reading improvement. Visit readinghorizons.com demo to see how Reading Horizons can transform your reading instruction. Our last guest today is Keith Dizars. As a director of K-12 practice at the Education Trust, Mr. Dizar's work focuses on equity and ties together much of what our other guests have shared. Mr. Dizar's, thank you so much for joining us on Podclast. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. So could you begin by explaining your role as director of practice at the Education Trust? What is the primary goal of your work? So my role here at EdTrust uh, uh, is to look at how issues of equity are playing out in the daily activities uh, of uh, classrooms, of schools, and districts. Um, you know, we're an educational advocacy uh, organization, and part, a large part of my work is uh, looking at the and working with my colleagues in policy uh, and in the research space uh, in, in the P, in P12 
to make sure uh, that we're informing each other, we're advancing each other's work, and really checking uh, the perspective of our equity agenda. Uh, and we like to think of ourselves as a three-legged stool in some ways, uh, right? So there's uh, educational policy, educational research, and and uh, and practice. And you know, our goal is how do we keep each other on an even keel? How do we make sure that uh, one doesn't get ahead of the other? Because uh, those uh, can always be a tricky place when that happens. And, it, you know, it's not always the easiest thing to do. Sometimes policy does get ahead. Sometimes we as teachers, as, uh, and I say this as a former teacher, don't pay attention to some of the research that's out there or, you know, don't uh, take the time to invest in local uh, and national policy, but uh, our, our sort of overall goal is to strive to how to see how all three of those, uh, both uh, all three policy practice uh, and research can help support and address inequities in education. A large portion of our work is really centered uh, on the practice side as the director of P12 practice uh, in two areas. And so, you know, one of those is we work directly with uh, schools and districts uh, and in some instances, states across the country, uh, really helping to helping those districts and schools to identify uh, and uh, ameliorate the inequities, educational inequities uh, that are in their system. It, we do a, 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 a something called an equity audit. Uh, we really help uh, partner with the schools and districts and look at their data, um, you know, sh point out where there are these uh, educational inequities, particularly for low-income students, students of color, uh, and then really help to work with them on the ground to say what strategies can you implement, what policies do you need to change, what practices need to change uh, in order to address these. And so um, that's work that really informs and gives us a good perspective of what's happening on the ground uh, in, in districts across the country. And, you know, another place that's important for us to pay attention to in the curriculum uh, space as we implement high-quality instructional materials is, you know, how are these materials uh, that, are, that, be, that become uh, a part of, of the curriculum, how are they made relevant? for all students. Um, and, you know, how, how does this, uh, how do what we select connect to, how does it connect to students and, you know, really provide them the opportunity to engage with a diverse set of authors, cultures, uh, contexts? That's something that's really important that I think we haven't paid enough attention to uh, and really deserves it. And I, as a side note on that, I think that it's also important that we as educators acknowledge that our role, part of our role as teachers, is to make content relevant. I think that's not something that we've always thought is, is our job, uh, and I think that that's really important. How do we make the content relevant to our students, uh, make it engaging for them, is, a critical, is, is critical throughout P12. Right. So that kind of leads to the next question. From a practical standpoint, what does need to happen in not just classrooms, but schools and districts and higher ed? to improve student achievement, especially for students of color and those from low-income families? What could we do to better prepare teachers that are getting into the field and once they're there? Yeah, you know, I think that there's, this is a, this, this really, to me, is a resource equity question, right? Um, you know, this to me becomes a question of what are the expectations that we have for what all students experience, uh, not just 
in my school or in, you know, my own, if I, if I'm a parent in my child's school, but actually what, what do we expect from all schools? What's the, what, do, what is schooling? What is the schooling experience supposed to look like? Uh, and, you know, there are many things that we could talk about. I would uh, sort of put out there, suggest three that I think are, 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 are critical. Uh, and first, you know, it, sort of, we talked about this, but it's just uh, students and, and children having access to a rich, well-rounded, and well-resourced education. Um, and, you know, this begins in as early as, as pre-K. Uh, how do we ensure that students, uh, particularly low-income students, students of color, have access in the early years with a high-quality preschool experience? It continues into, into the, the in K-12. Uh, how do we ensure access uh, to courses uh, uh, that are that make students uh, have a well-rounded education and it, the conversation here has to go beyond just the core subject areas uh, you know it, it, it extends into music and the arts uh, physics biology physical education uh, right coding and computer sciences languages and let's be clear these are not luxuries uh, and it's it's a shame if we think that they are those are basic necessary essentials for preparing our students to thrive. And, and that's sort of the, 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 the common bar we should have for all schools is how do they have access to it. Um, and, you know, we found some of our work, I mentioned the resource, equi the, resource uh, the equity audits we do, we found that that, quite frankly, is not the case. We know that from looking at national data across the country, this is not just in some systems, it's not in large city districts, it's not in small rules. This is happening across the country. Students just aren't having, don't get access to some of these courses. They don't get access to this rich, well-rounded, uh, well-resourced education. And so we see that across the country and is a large part of the work that uh, we do here uh, at, at Ed Trust. I think a, a second one uh, that I think is super important uh, for improving student achievement is, you know, I. All students deserve to attend a school that is welcoming, safe, and supportive. Um, and the reality is that's just not the case. Uh, we see that in, in reports from students, uh, whether it's their reports of just sort of heightened anxiety, but we also see it uh, in the, the fact that many students, especially those of, of uh, those students of color, they don't, appear, they don't experience school as a supportive environment when they're subject to exclusionary discipline, including suspensions and expulsions. And we see that, uh, again, in, in national data trending uh, across, across the country. Um, and, you know, third, I would suggest that an area to, for us to think about and, and focus on is how, how do we give all students the opportunity to attend schools with classmates, that are diverse uh, and to learn from teachers who represent the rich diversity of our nation. Um, you know, we know from, from uh, just our personal experiences and from research that exposing students uh, to uh, peers and to teachers that have different perspectives and cultures helps prepare them just to be citizens, right? It's, a, it's one of the first uh, and, and foremost ways to, to create engaged, an engaged citizenship and, and for the jobs that they'll experience in the future. Uh, so that's particularly important. And, you know, that's, that's important given what we know about how segregated schools are becoming. This is actually getting a problem that is getting worse, not better. And we also know that about as we look at um, efforts across the country to diversify the teaching force, uh, 
Um, our teaching force, uh, as educators, we do not represent, in many cases, the diversity of our students. And so uh, I would add that up as sort of a third area that we should focus on uh, that can really help us improve student achievement. Thanks so much for sharing your perspective, Mr. Dizars. Thanks. Great for having me. Great conversation. As I mentioned at the beginning, closing the achievement gap is a big topic. Our four guests today provided valuable insight on the causes of the gap, which is so important as we look for solutions. There was general consensus among them that it comes down to a couple of factors, readiness, access, and equity. When children live in poverty, are homeless, or live in some rural areas, they may have less access to the childhood experiences and resources that many children have that prepare them for kindergarten. Often this means that children haven't participated in preschool programs that give them an advantage when they begin school. When a student enters kindergarten already behind, this begins the developmental cascade that Dr. Washington referred to. Equity was another factor mentioned on this episode. Because funding for schools is not equitable, poor children and children of color often don't have the same opportunities as more affluent white children. The gap grows wider when resources aren't available or when expectations for some students are low. We are grateful to our four guests for taking time to participate in today's episode. They'll be back for part two to continue the conversation and to share solutions. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of PodClast. If you enjoyed today's episode, consider leaving us a review. Subscribe to PodClast to be notified when future episodes are available. Visit readinghorizons.com slash podcast to listen to past episodes and download free resources. PodClast is brought to you by Reading Horizons, the creator of a structured literacy program for beginning readers, struggling readers, and English language learners of all ages. By combining professional development, teacher-led instruction, and data-driven software, students receive targeted instruction that leads to efficient reading improvement. Visit readinghorizons.com trial for 14 days of free access to our software. Reading Horizons. Reading is for everyone.